You are locked on Packers. I feel like we can run the table. We really do. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Floats it. Your team. Oh, every day. Touchdown. You are locked on Packers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski. I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Today's episode is brought to you by Visa. Help support your local businesses, whether it's your corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops. Local businesses have always been on your team supporting you and your community, but now more than ever, they need your support. So let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. Today is Crossover Thursday. Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints will be joining us on the program to break down everything inside this matchup. Uh, I really like the new way that we've scheduled the week, and it is something we've done across the network, but I think Thursdays, you know, we had our Expert Tuesday Crossover Wednesday, and, and I felt like we had done a lot of explanations for what's going on with this matchup this way. You know, we get to spend a little bit more time in the beginning part of the week. Monday is the breakdown of the show. Tuesday with Expert Tuesday, we get to go a little bit deeper. And then we get to finish up whatever we need to do. How you doing? How you doing? And and look forward a little bit. And then Thursday, we get to you know dig into in earnest the opponent and finishing up with Friday injury report and everything that goes on there. I don't want to I don't want to drag this out too much because Ross and I uh, are, are have a lot to get to. So uh, I, I do want to mention the injury report, though, and it is impactful for both teams. Huge players for New Orleans and for Green Bay are on the injury report and are major question marks to play on Sunday night. For the Packers, it's Devontae Adams. He met with the media on Wednesday and said, you know, he was feeling a lot better and he still doesn't know. And it looks like that's going to be a decision made later in the week. I would guess, I would guess he's not going to play. If the decision is going to be made later in the week, either Wednesday was a planned rest day and they know by Friday he's going to be ready to go or they know now it's probably not going to happen. Otherwise, you just say, yeah, we might not know until game time. Right. For Kenny Clark, similar situation. We haven't heard from him, but he's got the groin injury. He did not practice on Wednesday. If if these guys can't go before before the weekend, they're not going to play. And, you know, it is a long season. Green Bay has already banked those two early wins. So, you know, you go on the road to New Orleans you, you don't expect to win in a regular season when there's fans. This is a different scenario, and every win matters, of course, and, and playoff seating and, and the jockeying for position all has relevance as we get into January. But this is still a, a situation where you don't want to have Kenny Clark miss six weeks because you decided a week too early to bring him back. The same for Devontae Adams. They're too valuable to this team over the long term. Now, the Saints also have players 
who are going to be hugely impactful if they're on the field and their absence will likewise be crucial. Marcus Davenport, Trey Hendrickson, and Michael Thomas all missed practice on Wednesday. And Davenport did not play on Monday when the Saints could not muster a pass rush, but Hendrickson did. And they still could not get consistent pressure on Derek Carr. So if those guys can't play, then all of a sudden the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, who's been pressured at the second lowest rate in the league this season, all of a sudden his life gets a lot easier. And guess what? His life without Devontae Adams gets a lot easier. They found ways last year to manufacture plays. And, you know, we saw on Monday it was the tight ends, it was the backs, it was the fullbacks. Those guys gave the Saints as much trouble as the receivers. Of course, the Raiders don't have the same caliber of receiver as Devontae Adams. But when you when you look at Green Bay, they've proven they can find ways to get other guys involved. They had Jay Sternberger on a league play. That was going to be a 40-yard play if Jace just makes the catch, just secures the catch. We've seen Big Bob Tanyan making plays, and we know that Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are already useful players. We've seen Marquez Valdez-Scantling make plays down the field. Alan Lazard is a reliable secondary option. Their offense seems to be in better position to go if they don't have all of their guys. If the Saints don't have Michael Thomas and they don't have their pass rushers, it starts to become precarious for New Orleans because their offense looked disjointed on Monday. It's looked disjointed the first two weeks of the season. And Sean Payton said, look, it's a it's a execution problem. It's a spacing problem. It's a rhythm problem. It's a timing problem. They're just not sharp. They're not cohesive. And you would expect that in the first month of the year. What's weird is around the league, offenses have come out much hotter than New Orleans has. And they're going to have to be ready because Green Bay is one of those offenses who has come out hot. If they don't have two of their three best pass rushers and they don't have their best pass catcher, they still have Alvin Kamara, they still have Drew Brees and a very good offensive line, but Drew Brees does not look like the same guy and has not played like Aaron Rodgers has played so far this year. The Packers were still able to move the ball and score even without Devontae Adams in in the second half on Sunday. So... I would be much more confident predicting the Packers get to 30 points without Adams. Now, obviously, it's still going to be a tall task. But if the Saints don't have Thomas and they don't have their best pass rushers, that looks like a bigger problem for the Saints than if the Packers don't have guys that, for a lot of last week's game, they also didn't have. Kenny Clark did not play against the Lions, and Green Bay was still able to limit the Lions to to 300 yards of offense and 14 points when the game was still in doubt. So I think you have to be much more heartened if you're the Packers that even if your guys can't go, you can still go out there and and get a win. And speaking of being heartened, even if you don't have that top level of car information in your brain, you don't have that expertise, you don't have that knowledge, you can still go and get a great price on the car parts that you need at rockauto.com. The, the big box stores, they can make it complicated. Different prices for you than for me or for the guy who works at the auto body shop. RockAuto.com simplifies the process. They have an incredibly easy to navigate, unique and remarkably simple catalog to go in and find what you need 
when you need it and they always give you the lowest price. It's not about who you are. Everyone gets the same prices and it's the lowest they can give you. RockAuto.com now to get the best prices on the car parts that you need and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. We're here for another crossover Thursday, a week three event. Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints, Locked On Packers. And this is so much fun, Ross. I absolutely cannot wait, not just to talk to you about it, but then to have the game. So many angles to this. I wrote yesterday that this is a game where you have seeming mirror images of one another. Mm-hmm. The the all-world quarterback, the star running back, the star receiver, and then Matt LaFleur, in a lot of ways, his career trajectory is mirroring some of the early Sean Payton offensive guru type stuff. Uh, this is going to be a really fun matchup. When you look at this game, if you just want to take this as big picture or as granular as you want, if you had to pick mm-hmm. one thing and say this is going to decide the game, what is that one thing? <laughs> just one? Um, I think that like over solve over it, the solve Saints, the game for Sean Payton is what I'm saying. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, I think over uh, one thing that I'll pick uh, is is execution. Yeah, I, I think that. Sean Payton's play calling was much improved the second week. He, he did have some issues with play calling the first week. He noted it himself as one of his worst play calling games ever. Um, and so I think that he improved there against the Raiders. He, the play calling was, was there. The execution, though, just simply was not. And even over on Dennis Allen's side, Dennis Allen can only do so much aside from literally removing players from the field. If you can't execute in your coverage assignments or if you end up getting – John Gruden did a really great job of, of creating mismatches with his personnel packages, coming out with big personnel packages to take advantage of a Saints team that lived in nickel and dime defense, literally never played a single snap in their 4-3 base defense, played everything either with you know five defenders, five defensive backs, six defensive backs, or they had five down linemen, which you know is a little bit different, but you know they went into that bear formation. And so the, the Raiders did a really good job taking advantage of that. And a lot of that had to do with the lack of execution over on the Saints side, as well as responding to game planning and just good gamesmanship by John Gruden. So for me, the thing that is sort of the end-all be-all for the Saints this season, uh, right, I'll, I'll say this season, uh, and as early as you know, what we'll see here in week three, is going to be execution. Yeah, and I went back and looked last year against tight ends. New Orleans had a top 10 defense by DVOA. They were the number eighth defense Mm -hmm. in the league handling tight ends. They have a team that you would think with Demario Davis and Malcolm Jenkins are ideally suited to handle someone like Darren Waller. And I think to your point, it was about packaging. It was about the the window dressing, whether it was was the formations around it or it was dictating to the Saints how they were going to play that Gruden was able Mm -hmm. to take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, For the Packers, uh, they want to play in big personnel. We saw them do it against the Lions. The Lions lived in nickel as well, and all it did was allow the Packers to steamroll them, Um, Mm -hmm. and, and Aaron Jones had a career day. So how do you how do you would envision the, the Saints accounting for that? Are they going to have to play a little bit bigger? Or are they going to say what Mike Pettin often says is if you want to run the ball, go ahead? Yeah, I think it, for the Saints, it very much is that latter point. It's very, very much the same to where they're going to say, if you want to run the ball, go ahead. And they, they feel really good about the way that they defend the run in, let's say, nickel sets, for instance, which they should because they've proven that they can do that. Now they gave up 88 rushing yards to Josh uh, Josh Jacobs 
last week, of course, but that was also, you know, 3.3 yard per average throughout that game to the entire team on 35 rushes. So the Saints will live with that, no problem. And I think that when you look at, you know, those moments to where they took advantage of the matchups over on, particularly with Darren Waller, the, the big tight end for them, who's like essentially a wide receiver anyway, yep. but the guy's outstanding. Uh, but you knew that Demario Davis was going to be the most effective defender on him and he was but the issue is that if you assign demario davis and say go and take out you know darren waller go and take care of darren waller then all of a sudden the middle of your defense is wide open because that's where demario davis is usually the most effective in patrolling so that's when you saw those passes start coming over the middle to guys like you know foster moreau and hunter renfro and uh, uh nelson aguilar and the running backs out of the backfield things like that and i know that that's something else that the saints are really going to have to pay attention to because they can say hey we'll play in nickel defense we'll play in dime defense and we'll let you run the ball if you want to but at the same time they have to get back to where they were also last season not only in defending tight ends but also defending pass catching backs out of the backfield which obviously aaron jones and, and those those running backs in green bay like that's i I imagine that's exactly what it is that Matt LaFleur wants to do. Yeah. So the Saints have to be ready for that. Yeah, the, the Packers running game on Sunday against the Lions, 35 carries, 259. That's a 7.4 yard per carry average. And I, I went Ooh. and I went and looked at their their EPA. Their rush EPA, I mentioned this to you the other day, mm-hmm. is so crazy. It is so efficient. They would be the 11th best passing team. That's how efficient their run offense is right now. It's it's ridiculous. And speaking of passing efficiency, we haven't seen it from the Saints so far. And and even in week one, when Michael Thomas was available, we didn't see it. One of the least productive games of Drew Brees' Uh career. On Monday night, Drew Brees got to 300 yards. And I, I, I messaged you offline. I said... It is the most misleading 300 yards up from a star quarterback I can remember because it was 300 seemingly non-impactful yards, certainly yards that were not earned by Drew Brees. It was almost all dump downs to Kamara and Traquan Smith. What, Ross, what is going on with Drew Brees? It's an interesting thing, right? Like, it's so interesting to watch this happen. And I know that, you know, for a lot of folks, the the conversation is about lack of preparation over on the offensive side because of you know, COVID and all those other things, but this was the veteran team. This was the team that right. was supposed to not be affected by that. So we they had the continuity that, that was supposed exactly. to be the thing. Right. And so we can't pull that excuse. The only thing we can do is say, Hey, what the hell's going on here? And you know, <laughs> so, so that's the question that you asked me, which I think is a valid question. And I think that when you look at what Drew Brees has here, he has a, a an offensive line in front of him. Who's fourth right now in ESPN's pass block win rate. He yep. has a an offensive line that is also giving him 2.67 seconds to pass, which is beyond what he usually looks for, which is two and a half. Uh, he has all of that, and he has the weapons. However, they're still 24th in EPA per play. They're not explosive, and they're not efficient. So what are you? What, what is this offense supposed to be, if not nothing else but efficient, because that's what they sort of hung their hat on for so long. And Drew Brees right now is also dead last in completion percentage above expected at only 64.7%, which ranks 20, 21st in the NFL. So it's not what we're used to seeing from him for sure, but the offenses are fixed. I'm sorry, the, the issues are fixable on the offensive side. The biggest question is simply how quickly can they write the ship because they're going to have to do it very quickly here before Sunday night uh, and they're you know back at home, but no fans in the stands. None of the things that usually kind of you expect to work toward their benefit 
will be there working toward their benefit. So it's all about these teams, the, this, this offensive team being more in sync and, and ready to go with one another. Uh, Drew Brees did a press conference on Wednesday and he was asked about, you know, what is it that fans don't see at home when they're sitting down and they're watching games that could lead sometimes to these plays not connecting and passes not going, uh, not being completed. And a big part of what Drew talked about was timing. And if you look back and you watch the film against Las Vegas, timing was disrupted consistently throughout that throughout that game, whether it be bumps or rubs by defenders, whether it be pressing at the line of scrimmage, or whether it just simply be Drew Brees' timing was off or the receiver's timing was off. These are the things that weren't supposed to happen because they're veteran guys and Emmanuel Sanders has played in a in a timing based offense before, for instance, him being the, the probably the biggest new addition over on the offensive side outside of Cesar Ruiz, who has seen maybe a handful of snaps so far. That's just not going to cut it right now. And the Saints are going to have to figure out a way to get that fixed. And they didn't practice on Wednesday, which I kind of thought you would <laughs> after Monday's performance. Right. But we'll see, you know. Um, you know, the NBA comparison being that the Celtics had a meltdown, then they didn't practice, and then they came back and won. Maybe that's what the Saints needed to do. They just need some rest. I don't know. But it's it'll be really interesting to see. You know, we talked about execution, timing. That's going to be the the big sort of uh, either Achilles heel or the big benefit for the Saints if they can improve upon that before Sunday. Yeah, I don't know if it's to the good or not, but Bill Parcell's team would have practiced. That's what I know. Uh-huh. Um, right. <laughs> and, and again, I don't know if that's good or bad. I, I do want to ask you about the crowd thing, though, because in a normal season, you'd say, okay, the Saints come home, they get the Superdome crowd, everybody's fired up. Uh, they, they, they get that, that life injected into mm-hmm. them. It's something that I, that I've talked about this week is the Packers pass rush does not look like it, it's playing with much juice, much life. And it was something that Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith seemed to feed off the crowd so much last year, mm-hmm. because this was their first big opportunity to be star players and they relished it. I, I'm wondering if the same kind of thing could be happening with this team because they're so used to feeding off of that crowd. They're not going to get that that extra jolt of adrenaline when they have to take on what what ends up being something close to a must-win game on Sunday. Yeah, it's, it, it, I keep saying it is, as, it is as much a must-win game as you can have this early on in the season. Um, you know, this potential playoff preview that we have here and with it being a conference game as well, which the Saints got, you know, they shot themselves in the foot with conference losses last year. Could see the same thing happen here again. But sorry, more to your question. I, I, I'm stuck at the moment in between. <laughs> is it better? Is it better that fans actually aren't in the stands to see what's been happening because of how the fans might react? Or are the Saints suffering because the fans aren't there? It, it's, it's really interesting. Now, we've only seen one game, of course, without fans in the Superdome so far. And the thing that I think helped the Saints have energy, have juice, as you said, and have momentum came from the bench. This is a team that likes each other. This is a team that enjoys each other. They will pump themselves up from over on the bench and they'll need to do that. But the team itself that's on the field is going to have to give that momentum. It's going to have to create that sort of catalyst in order for that momentum to be carried on by their teammates from the sideline. Yeah. It's only momentum if you do something with it, right? I mean, that's the, that's, that's the way it works. Uh, When, when we come back, Ross is going to take the wheel here and, and put me in the hot seat to give a little bit more insight on the Packers side of this marquee matchup. You're worried about the Packers injury report. I get it. But what happens when you wind up on the injury report? 
The Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin Health Network is transforming the way healthcare is delivered to make it easier for you to connect with the best of academic medicine when and where you need it. But what exactly is academic medicine anyway? First, it's rare. There are only 120 academic medical centers in the country. The Freighter and MCW Network is one of only two in the state and the only one in eastern Wisconsin. Academic medicine makes possible leading-edge primary and specialty care, research to find innovative cures for complex diseases, and the education of the next generation of healthcare professionals. It's like having a two-time MVP quarterback under center. You know you're in good hands, and you might just see things you never thought possible. Freighter and MCW physicians have been part of many scientific discoveries of new ways to prevent and treat diseases. Still wondering what academic medicine offers you? Visit www.freighter.com academic. The Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin Health Network. This is what is possible. All right, y'all, welcome back to our crossover Thursday. Myself, Ross Jacks with Locked On Saints, joined by the amazing Peter Bukowski of Locked On Packers. I recommend if you're the, the Saints side of this that's listening, go and keep listening to Peter's episodes over at Locked On Packers because, first of all, it's going to give you more in terms of what you need to know about this game this weekend, but also you're just going to be a lot smarter by the time that you're done. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into uh, a couple of questions here that I have for you. You know, I, the first thing I want to start off with is the – is the Green Bay offense. They are looking fantastic right now. 85 points to start the season. They are over 200 yards per game on the ground, just under 300 yards receiving in the game uh, in the air. They've been fantastic. What is the difference last year to this year? Is it is it literally the time that has made all the difference in terms of Aaron Rodgers getting more comfortable in Matt LaFleur's offense? Or is there something else that's really pushing this sort of offensive outburst that's going on for the Packers to open up the year. Well, you know, what's so great about this is uh, I get to give the same answer you started the show with execution. Mm. That's it. Right. And, and in year two, this is the kind of internal development we thought this team was capable of when, when we talk about, okay, you get to make that advancement in year two of a system. It's not just the sweat equity that you put into it. I mean, that of course is part of it. But it's the little things. I mean, you look at on Sunday how many different crossing routes and, and mesh variations and different formations that the Packers put on the field. They were using a lot of different formations and personnel groupings last year. They weren't executing like this. The spacing was a little bit off. They'd run mesh and guys would run into each other. Or, you know, the spacing and the timing would be a little bit off where the guys crossing wouldn't be crossing at just the right time or, you know, the go route was not spaced properly. And so there were two guys in the in the same area where they shouldn't be. It's the little stuff. Matt LaFleur talked about the details all offseason. OK, what does that mean? Well, it's it's making sure that on a three-step drop, you have your head around in time, knowing that Rodgers is going to put the ball in a specific place. Those little things have added up, and they've added up in a big way. I, I think it's it's really good evidence of the talent that was already on this team, but also the beauty of this system. Yeah, I mean, it's been really it's been impressive to watch because you look at this Green Bay offense, and you mentioned here as we began the show with the with the the piece that you wrote that it's kind of like. And I believe the verbiage that you used in, in the piece was like it's kind of like the Saints looking in a mirror in a way, mm -hmm. in terms of seeing the execution that they should have with their system right now. 
And I think that's part of what made the Saints so uncomfortable. Uh, some of the things that made the Saints so uncomfortable over on the defensive side were the comeback routes on the outside, the levels concepts to to one side, whether it be on the, the heavy side or the weak side even, to where they utilize their running back to get out and create those levels. When they use high-low concepts, when they attack the middle of the field with crossing patterns, that's where the Saints fell apart against the Raiders. And that's mm-hmm. essentially what the Green Bay Packers are bringing to this game. But I would say at a higher level than what the Raiders had the ability to do simply because of their supporting cast. We've talked before about the Saints, you know, offline and, and other stuff that we've done together here, that the Saints struggled against the Raiders, two best weapons, Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs. In mm-hmm. Green Bay, there's Devontae Adams, there's Aaron Jones, who I would say are better threats at each of those respectable, not necessarily positions when it comes to Evans and Waller, but right. as a receiver, and then certainly more, more respectable. And then you look at the supporting cast for the uh, for the Packers, Alan Lazard, who's like right now, if I remember correctly, he's up at the top near the tops when it comes to uh, EPA as a receiver in the in the NFL. You yeah. have um, I think he's second you know, in receiver DVOA. Yeah, DVOA. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and then you have uh, MVS, who's been a fantastically reliable piece for this team as well. And then you have this great offensive line. So is it fair to say that what the Saints are going to face on Sunday is pretty similar to what they're going to face on to what they faced and lost to Monday night, but at a higher level. Yeah. And, and I think the biggest place is at the offensive line because mm-hmm. the Raiders were playing with multiple backups and then even injuries during the game. I think that, that they ended up playing with the third string, right? Tackle, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, a third string, right? Tackle who was an interior offensive line. Right. By the way. And the saints <laughs> with, with Cam Jordan and Trey Hendrickson and what I think is a very good front. We're still not able to consistently pressure Derek Carr using ESPN's uh, win rate stats. The Packers have the number one pass blocking offensive line and the number two run blocking offensive line. And, and through two weeks, Aaron Rodgers has been unbothered just in life and on the, on the field. He has just right. been so in control, so in command. I, I can't remember seeing him this calm in the pocket and, and, you know, Dan Orlovsky loves to talk about having the answers. You have to have the answers pre-snap, post-snap. You need to know where your answers are. And it seems like this is, this is part of your, your first question. In year two, Aaron Rodgers has a much better understanding of where his answers are. And because Matt mm-hmm. LaFleur has pushed this offense forward, the answers that he has are better. Yeah, and speaking of pass rush, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Green Bay pass rush, of course, because it has been outstanding. The Saints right now, in terms of their pass block win rate, fourth in the in the NFL. Their run block win rate is 20th in the NFL, according to ESPN. But the difference between 20 and top five is like 4%. So it's just a little bit too early in the season for that one. But in terms of how they're producing over in the pass blocking side, they're producing pretty well, but now they go up against a big test particularly what's going to be a test for their interior offensive line. I know a lot of people talk about Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith as these great edge rushers, but I feel like Zadarius Smith in particular, we do a great disservice when we talk about him specifically as an edge defender, not in that we disrespect him as a a run uh, run defender, which is also true, but he's also really effective from the interior. I noticed as I was looking at these win rates that uh, ESPN puts out each week that Zadarius Smith at all of 6'4", 275 pounds is number six when it comes to pass rush win rate at defensive tackle. And I thought that that was really interesting because we talk a lot for this over on the Saints side about the rotation amongst the defensive line. But I have to imagine that 
having a guy like Zadarius Smith that can be that effective on the inside really opens up a lot of opportunities for Pat and the defense <laughs> coordinator and, and the, the Green Bay Packers on that side. So can you tell us a little bit about what the Green Bay Packers do well to win in pass rush? Well, what it opens up is their their opportunity to play three outside linebackers. It, it allows them to put Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, and Rashawn Gary all on the field together. And for as good as the Smith brothers were last year, uh, oh, by the way, Rashawn Gary has been the best edge defender for the Packers through two weeks. He's been uh, really outstanding, pushing the, the pocket. Um, he, he shows so much more hand refinement technique, and he, he's a little slimmer. He looks a little twitchier, better lateral movement. And he's winning with counters. He's winning with speed to the corner. He's winning with the bull rush. And he wins with effort. I mean, he's one of the most athletic guys in the league. That's not hyperbole. Uh, you can go look at the numbers. I mean, one of the most freakishly right. athletic guys we've ever seen at the Combine. And uh, he's finally starting to put some of those pieces together. So what the Packers will do in base, let's say the Saints come out in some sort of, you know, they put Josh Hill on the field, Jared Cook on the field, two receivers. Green Bay might come out with two defensive linemen, three outside linebackers and an inside linebacker. And rather than play with three down linemen in their 3-4, they'll play with two down linemen and an extra outside linebacker because Cedaria Smith can line up on the inside and whip whatever guard or center he goes against. They also use him, you know, sometimes with his hand in the dirt, but also a lot on early downs as a run defender, just as a rover. You know, they'll 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 mug the yeah. A gaps with him and Christian Kirksey or him and a defensive back of safety. And then you don't know where he's coming from, if he's coming, what the situation is. So it it really puts offensive lines in conflict. Um, because they have to make decisions on who to block, where to block them. And his ability to win inside has opened up opportunities for Preston and Rashawn Gary on the outside. Yeah, I think it's massively impressive what they do. It reminds me of what New Orleans does. There's a lot of different, there's a lot of commonality between these teams, as we yep. often observe when we talk to one another. Um, the, the last question that I have for you is that the Saints are going to be looking to get that offense rolling and hopefully be able to find a way to do it, whether it's your breeze or just execution across the entire offense. Attacking the secondary in Green Bay, probably not the best choice as it is a very good and very young, you know, very talented young secondary. Yep. But they have had some issues defending against running backs, which is something that we can say about both teams and against tight ends, which mm -hmm. is now also something we can say about both. Teams. <laughs> Where is the best place, in your opinion, for New Orleans to attack this Green Bay defense? You know, I, I think um, you're, you're going to see the best opportunities are going to be in the middle of the field, as they are with most teams. But where Green Bay has been vulnerable in the past is when you go play action or when, when you try and send a tight end either on a corner route or a post route and you have to make the corners and the safety sort of work together in zone if they do catch Green Bay in zone. That's where some of these mm -hmm. these breakdowns can happen. The Lions got uh, you know a big play early to TJ Hawkinson on a corner route. You go back to last year, some of the big plays they gave up to George Kittle, to Travis Kelsey. And obviously those tight ends are really, really good. Jared Cook is not in their their atmosphere, but at the same time, he can run, and we know he can run. Mm -hmm. And so if they're able to, to give Drew Brees time to hit those shots, I, I think there are some shots there to be hit. And, and frankly, I think they're going to need to do that because Green Bay has tackled really well. That used to be an area where you said, okay, we're going to throw five-yard slants all day, and Green Bay's just not going to be able to tackle well enough. Uh, to get off the field, that's no longer the case. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the little like screen routes and and short little routes that that the Saints 
like to throw, Green Bay has defended really well through two weeks. Jair Alexander is the best bubble screen corner I've ever mm-hmm. seen. He he just attacks it with with uh, enjoyment. He just loves to go break, break up a, a wide receiver yeah. bubble. So that's not a, a place where I think you know the, the Saints can really attack. I, I, frankly, I think if if the Saints are going to score enough to to hang with Green Bay. I, I think Alvin Kamara is just going to have to do it all, and he's going to have to win down the field. Yeah. He's going to have to he's going to have to break off a couple chunk runs. It's going to have to be that kind of thing because even if Michael Thomas plays, and we don't know as we sit here recording this if he's going to, you have to assume he's not going to be a hundred percent. And and so right. his ability as a big play receiver is is shot. Um, and I don't know. Can Drew Brees throw the ball more than 30 yards down the field? We haven't really seen him do it with any sort of consistency. Maybe, maybe the answer is Taysom Hill has to do what he did in the Minnesota game. And, and that's, man, that is a weird thing to say about the saints team, but I I think it's real. Yeah. It's really strange to talk about the idea of taking Drew Brees off the field at at any time. It's a weird thing to talk about. Now we did see him hit. It was like 43 air yard pass during to a tight end. Uh, during the week one game. But as you mentioned, consistency is really the question here. And of course, we're only two games in. So Saints will definitely be looking to find ways to uh, get back on the horse here. And they'll need to do it quickly as they go up against a very talented Green Bay team. Peter, always a pleasure, man. Love talking to you and uh, looking forward to this game on Sunday. Same to you, Ross. It's going to be a blast. All right. I want to thank Ross for joining the program. Always great to talk to Ross. He is truly one of you know, my favorite guys to talk to on this network and and just in football in general. I'm always sending him DMs and we're chatting about what's going on. And, and I, I think he does a great job with the Saints. And, and with everything he does on the network, he does a lot behind the scenes that you guys don't see. So shout out to Ross. Uh, he is way too nice to me uh, about my show. And, and, of course, I appreciate it. Back tomorrow, Periscope, 5 Central, 6 Eastern, on Periscope, live on Periscope. Of course, it goes up after that on your podcast feed. So check that out there. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that 920 341 3775 to stay locked on Packer.